straight efficiency with Nackfee's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 86, we're joined by Amanda DeVoe. She's Fleet Strategy and Transformation Director for PepsiCo, where she talks about Pepsi being an early adopter of new technology as part of its effort to propel the fleet forward. She also provides insights into the metrics used to assess the fleet's decarbonization efforts and the importance of diverse opinions in problem solving. She also talks about how the Tesla semis are performing for PepsiCo. Today we have joining us Amanda DeVoe, Transformation and Strategy Director at PepsiCo for their truck fleet. Amanda, I'm thrilled to have you on today. This is going to be fun. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation, Mike. Yeah, so NACFI goes back a long way with PepsiCo and Frito-Lay. I think Michael Connell was at what we called the inaugural meeting of NACFI in the fall of 2009, Amanda. And um, PepsiCo is really looked at as like the leading sustainable fleet in North America. Does it feel that way to you inside for you and the other other people at the, uh, you know, at the fleet uh, or at the people managing the fleet? And, uh, you know, if so or not so, what is it? What does it feel like? Uh, what a what a question to start things off with. So, <laughs> first and foremost, I appreciate the compliment. As you mentioned, um, we've got a, a long line of leaders in this fleet space of, of innovators and forward thinkers that have put us in a position to continue to propel our fleet forward. And when you look at what we do as a business foundationally, fleet is integral to what we do. And I think there's a lot of confusion too when you look at PepsiCo. Fleet is, is separate from the drivers themselves. We've got a dedicated organization to managing our vehicles, managing our equipment, innovating and continuing to be ahead of the curve, if you will. And there is no better time than the present when you look at what's happening in the industry. We lean a lot into electrification and I know we'll be discussing some of that today, but just around the innovation, the interconnectivity, what is becoming available and how we can really revolutionize how we perceive the role the, the fleet vehicle or the asset plays and how we move our goods within PepsiCo. And to your commentary on leading, we, we've got some, some internal forces. Our, our PepsiCo positive ambition keeps us driving forward and continuing to innovate and evolve. And we've got a long history of doing that work. So some of the first to operate electric vehicles, some of the first to introduce a CNG fleet of assets, some major programs on the West Coast with our zero and near zero emissions freight facility have really allowed us to be early adopters. And with that early adopter experience, we continue to learn and grow and evolve and compound those experiences and get great satisfaction from discussing them in venues such as this one, as well as sharing them across the broader industry to continue yeah. to move all forward. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we at NACFI really feel like there's a three-pronged approach to decarbonizing moving goods, and that's burn less diesel. So, you know, move move the goods with more efficient trucks and driving habits and speed and all that sort of thing. Second one, get to zero when you can. So that's sort of battery electric trucks, hydrogen fuel cell trucks, but really have actions around that now. And then, you know, look at alternatives. So they're you know, and I, and I I think back of if you look at the last 10, 15 years at at Pepsi and Frito Lay, Pepsi beverages and Frito Lay, uh, there's been a lot of all three of those, um, and so that's why I think the fact that you've got the what we would call our three pronged approach in action and in reality there at the fleet, that's why I think a lot of people look at you as leaders, not just that you're leading to zero. But you're doing today what can be done today um, with 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 what we have, which is mostly diesel. 
equipment. Absolutely. And it's funny you said three, because I'm visualizing, we actually have like an inverted pyramid where we lean into four. To your point, electrification, zero emissions, hydrogen of the future, that's the end game. But there are actions every fleet can take to make progress today. So we actually add that fourth and our first is the mile you don't run is also zero emissions. So how are we creating efficiency and optimization and how we leverage our vehicles today? And then as you step through it, it's it's aerodynamics, it's efficiency, it's improving the engine of a diesel vehicle through the alternative fuel portfolio and through electrification and zero emissions assets to continue to evolve and make meaningful progress as this industry continues to lean her further and further towards the zero emissions asset. Yeah, and you're really keeping track of it too. Can, can what's what are the metrics that like you and your role or or you and the team really look at uh, right now managing the fleet to to keep score of your you know decarbonization? We'll just use that word. Um, so I think it, it's multifaceted. So there's this engineering approach where, and and I'm not sure if this is the way you want me to answer this question, Mike, but this is where I'm going to take it. We're we're really. Uh, a, a large team, and we've made a lot of investments as an organization to make sure we're resourced to support the change within the fleet space. So um, there's first and foremost, the engineering space. So what are we doing to keep tabs on the industry, integrate ourselves, have the right conversation with the right vehicle manufacturers, other fleets um, in the space where we're deploying electric vehicles, charging in the spaces where we're exploring alternative fuels, fueling providers and manufacturers. So what are those relationships and how are we strategically partnering to develop the best mutual solutions to make progress. Um, and then when you look at how the profile of our fleet will change and is changing and has changed over the last 10 to 15 years, capability is at the heart of that. So our, our mechanics, our drivers, we are a frontline focused organization and, and we don't move our goods and we don't make that sale if we don't have the team operating the trucks and keeping the trucks on the road. So we've got a really strong capability organization that focuses on how do we support and advance the education of our, our mechanic teams to evolve with us and have the skill sets to maintain and track all the different technologies we're introducing into our fleet? Uh, and then we have a, a team in our sustainability office that's helping us track and trend what miles are we running, which of those miles are coming from alternatively fueled vehicles, and which of those miles are zero emissions miles to make sure we're well scorecarded in the progress that we're making, um, not only as we deploy new technology, but as our business continues to evolve and change and grow, and how do we decouple um, the growth that we're seeing as an organization um, from the emissions that we, we tend to create with yeah. that. Our big mantras and one of those hard problems to solve as we look to continue to make progress. Yeah, you you remind me, you know, something I learned a long time ago that, um, you know, if the goods aren't delivered on time, none of this matters, right? So, you know, you, you, when, you know, as we're deploying new technologies, whether it's, you know, wide base tires instead of duals or aerodynamics or a fully electric vehicle, um, you know, we still have to deliver the goods. I mean, the, the people who are relying on us to get them, uh, all kinds of things. I mean, our motorhome needed antifreeze to uh, to sleep, you know, to get through the nights, the last couple nights. And most people on the podcast know my wife and I are nearly full-time RVers. And had somebody not responded to this cold and getting RV antifreeze near me, we'd been in trouble. So a, a funny little weird example, right? But as we develop and deploy these technologies and, you know, your fleet doing a lot of that, 
you also have the, you know, the training of the drivers, the training of the technicians. I mean, everybody needs to uh, do their role. It's just not buying them and setting them free. Absolutely. And I think one of our, our, call it true north, our guiding principles. And I think it's one of the major reasons you've seen a lot of success stories from the PepsiCo team is we acknowledge that each application or use case within our fleet requires a technology that matches it. Um, there are some spaces that aren't as mature as others in the zero emission space. And we've got to reconcile that in, in, in an effort to continue our progress, not be too nearsighted that we're overlooking that the driver needs to be able to run the route. They need to enjoy coming to work and be able to successfully do their job. And the, the tools that we're introducing to support our decarbonization efforts have to match that work to be done for us mm -hmm. to continue to be successful. Yeah. So, uh, so I got to stop us here, Amanda, the, the loyal followers of my podcast always want to hear two things. Um, one is how did you and I meet and become friends? So, um, you know, forget all of your peers at PepsiCo and the relationships I had. How did you and I meet? Do you remember? So I, I do, I would say my, my first thought was, is, oh yeah, run unless this past, uh, past summer through 2023. Um, but it was actually prior to that. So I had the great opportunity, uh, to participate in the Tesla semi delivery event in December, 2022, where PepsiCo took the keys, um, our CEO team exchanged keys with Elon, uh, for our first Tesla semis. And I believe that is event you were also a part of, um, so yep. facilitated our first face-to-face -face introduction there, uh, and really expanded on that, that first intro again, particularly through run on less in 2023. Does that sound right? That is a no, you got it exactly right. I mean, it was in Reno. And uh, the thing I remember the most about that night was I was taking pictures and a lot of the truck press uh, was not there. So, um, you know, there was like five of the eight articles that came out of, you know, heavy duty trucking and fleet owner and whatever had pictures I took of your trucks and <laughs> Elon Musk and the whole team that night because uh, I was there. So yeah, it is right. Um, and then the second question is, you know, tell us a bit about your career. I mean, what, 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 um, you know, uh, maybe your education and your uh, early jobs. I mean, what are the, the, how did you get here? And, um, you know, maybe explain a couple of the roles you had or jobs you had in your in your past that uh, prepared you the most for, for what you're doing now. So, Mike, the honest answer is by an incredibly happy accident. Um, but a lot of experience had led me to this point. Fleet isn't my background. So I know you've got a great relationship with a lot of a lot of folks within PepsiCo, particularly in the fleet space, um, who are fleet for life and grew up in this space. And I think that's one of. The benefits to me being here is I do have some differentiated experiences and I know you, you've kind of signaled with the cold weather and your experience in the RV upstream and beyond PepsiCo and the brands like the movement of goods and the people who do it and how meaningful it is. So my upbringing is actually in agriculture, grew up on a farm in Northeast Iowa and studied logistics and supply chain management at Iowa State. What I'm realizing is becoming increasingly many moons ago. Um, and those experiences being in a very rural Iowa farming community, grew up on a farm, um, have given me some perspective that I've been able to translate in this space, particularly speaking to work to be done and how integral. Um, people are to our supply chain, to our movement, to our access as consumers uh, in this evolving landscape. And then within PepsiCo, my upbringing was predominantly in 
warehousing, automated warehousing, and a dose of manufacturing prior to joining the fleet organization. So um, those experiences gave me a good breadth of end-to-end -end supply chain and fleet. Um, didn't realize it at the time, to me, is really the next natural step. When you look at all the functions I was in, what I didn't experience within supply chain is exposure to the strategy and the vehicles that touch all the locations that I led and operated in. So I'm on my second role within fleet. Um, the first I, I led our fleet service center where we provide um, support to our, our vehicles when they have issues or need support on highway. Um, and then most recently in this transformation and strategy space. So again, I didn't, it wasn't something that was obvious. Uh, if you'd asked 24-year-old Amanda if she would be doing what she is today, she never would have guessed that. Uh, but again, a very happy accident. And I've just, I've loved every minute of it to the point where I joke with my manager that I don't know how he's going to get rid of me if he ever wants. To. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that'll happen. And I, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, what you're also bringing up is how important, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is in all of our teams. I mean, we need lots of different backgrounds, lots of different, um, thinking when these challenges we have in, you know, let's just call it what it is. I mean, this transformation of trucking is, um, you know, is a big deal and um, we need all the smarts and all about it. I've said it in this podcast and lots of times speaking. I mean, I was so impressed with the, with the uh, diversity of the 122 people we interviewed, you included um, at the run on less sites this last year. And it just gave me so much, inspiration about how we're going to tackle these things with smart people coming at this, um, you know, and, and a very different group of people than we might've seen in the trucking industry 20 years ago. Absolutely. Diversity and perspectives. That's what you get when you bring a diversity of people to help contribute to the solution. And it really is end to end to your point. I know in Sacramento, we, we interviewed female leaders, but female drivers too. So for <laughs> us to best identify new solutions, we need to have diversity in thought, and particularly because we have much more diversity in who is be who's in the cab and who's behind the steering wheel. That, to your point, maybe didn't exist 30 years ago, but is increasingly becoming common. And I hope it only continues to to grow and evolve for here from here, where more and more representation representation exists within this space. Yeah. All right. So I want to get into the fleet itself. I mean, so you know, people listening to this, I'm sure they're hoping to get from you and me like some real insights into how and what are is Pepsi doing in this regard? So um, let let's start with like uh, the really the dichotomy or the difference between beverages and snacks. So um, walk, can you walk us through? Um, and it just shows how tough it might be to run this fleet. But just compare and contrast the Frito Lay snacks fleet with the uh, beverages fleet. You bet. So um, just foundationally. Uh, we're one of North America's largest private fleets at over 80,000 owned assets. Uh, about 36,000 of those are what we would call powered on-road fleet equipment. Um, within that, Pepsi and Frito, two vastly different businesses grounded in the product they deliver. So the, the Frito-Lay portfolio uh, really focuses on maximizing cube within the tractor-trailer combo, where on the beverages side, it's dense, it's very, very heavy, and it's a payload-centric business. So the product itself leans into the portfolio of our assets. Um, we also are a direct-to-store organization. So we deliver the product to the back door, to the retailer, and we put it on the shelf, and we take pride in that. So on the Frito side, that means 
means a good majority of our vehicles are 2B to class six, where we're able to take a, a smaller asset in the commercial vehicle speak and, and deliver our goods with max payload to our customers. On the beverages side, not only is the regional long haul going to be a class eight tractor trailer combo, we predominantly leverage the class eight tractor trailer combo to deliver direct to customer, direct to retailer, again, to support the weight and payload of the, the product itself, which is for, for those who listen to your podcast and who watch this industry, particularly the the commercialization of electric vehicles, of um, zero emissions vehicles, that breadth of 2B to class 8 and that expansiveness of use case within our fleet um, means there are vastly different solutions available, maturing, and things we're considering across each space we operate and each class of vehicle we operate. Yeah, and so just, uh, you know, the thing that's always interested me, uh, let's just talk about trailers for a moment. So, a snacks trailer for Frito-Lay, I mean, you have a name for it, but it's a drop rail sometimes where you've got, you're, you're making it as dense as possible to get every single, every you know, Frito, chi every chip in there yes. Yes. <laughs> that you can get in there. And so in many cases, small tires, they call those high cube trailers or something like that. Um, and, and so that trailer is vastly different from a Pepsi transport Pepsi beverages transport trailer where really you never stack above one layer. So I remember um, going through one of those trailers where it was a 53 foot trailer, but you didn't, you know, you took some of the side, the top of the walls were different than the bottom of the walls because you never had a product above a single layer of pallets. So vastly different um, specs and, and equipment for the two sides of the business. Absolutely. And again, you called it out perfectly. It's not just the truck. It's the trailer, too. It's the means of of how we offload product from the vehicle itself. So there, there are a lot of engineering considerations that go into addressing the very different portfolios of product between Pepsi and Frito-Lay. Yeah. So you've participated. You're the only fleet that has participated in all four of our run on less efforts from 2017, 19 and now two battery electric uh, runs in 21 and 23. So I want to, I got three things I'm going to ask you about and sort of like a, you know, fast uh, process here over our next seven or eight minutes we've got here. So in 2021, uh, we uh, had you participate with a medium duty box truck. It was a battery electric truck in Modesto. It was a big box truck. I think it was like 30 feet. Um, tell us a little bit about that uh part of your strategy, these electric medium duty box trucks, and how's it going? And maybe give us an update from 2021. Absolutely. So the the medium electric vehicle, as well as the, the smaller vehicle are serving our go-to-market operations. So those assets are still in Modesto, running strong, well-received by our, our sales team, our, our drivers in those vehicles, and they're being leveraged to deliver product to local retail um, stores within the Modesto area. So again, a part of our, our broader zero and near zero emissions freight facility program there in Modesto, but still having a strong strong impact, uh, kind of the start, phase one, and what's been an incredible journey since then um, to continue to accelerate our zero emissions vehicle deployment in the go-to-market delivery space within Frito-Lay. Yeah, and so those box trucks could, you know, you can put a lot of snacks on those. So they could, you know, they could go longer distances due uh, to more loading. And the second one I want to ask you about is around in 2023 then, this last fall, 
we highlighted uh, the Queens location in, uh, in Queens, New York, uh, which is a, a snacks location again. Um, and here it's a real dense community. And so tell us a little bit about the e-transits you're doing there. What's it like operating your business in such an urban environment uh, like like what we saw there in Queens? Absolutely. And it's, it's important to compare and contrast. So Modesto is a city, but it doesn't have the population and retail density that New York does. And the Queens facility, one, it was a big deal um, for us and I think for the run to demonstrate progress and happenings outside of California. Um, and another one, because uh, there is a lot of conversation around the performance of battery electric vehicles, particularly in colder climates. So it is definitely PepsiCo's furthest north um, application, and it does demonstrate how accessible the use of that e-transit asset is in our delivery setting in a highly dense urban environment where those, those trucks are operating 10, 12 hours a day, but they're not exceeding around 50 miles round trip to go deliver their product. So it was a great use case to allow us to create a template for deploying those routes that are very much so within the range capacity of an electric vehicle. Um, and we've since shared some stories in, in Charlotte, North Carolina and um, Carrollton, Texas, where we've done similar models and again, some, some more geographic and retail dense spaces. Yeah, and a couple of things that that uh, that I think about too, with respect to you know what Queens taught us, uh, and that is, you know, we're calling these smaller energy depots. Um, so, you know, we get caught up a lot of times, Amanda. I think in like, okay, we got to go, we got to go decarbonize long haul trucking or long regional haul trucking. I mean, that's where the emissions are. That's where the big uh, fuel expenses and so forth. And yes, we got to go work on that. But these are highly impact and easier depots to electrify. So I think there's 66 uh, e-transit vans that are gonna be deployed or probably close to being complete there in Queens. And you know it isn't a huge draw on the utility because of the low miles that you travel there, even though there's a, a, a lot of vehicles. So one, it's easier from an infrastructure standpoint. Um, two, and I don't know if you wanna talk about this, but you know with these urban depots, no matter what kinds of trucks or what fleet it is, you tend to send trucks there that are older or keep trucks operating older. Those those are places where they don't go far from home. So if you have a problem, and so when I was at Queens, with all due respect, I mean, there were some 30-year-old bread trucks delivering chips that are going to be out of service. Their gasoline and diesel will be out of service, replaced by these new e-transit you know, electric vans. And so I do think there's an opportunity there for for just, you know, better driving experience and less emissions by uh, these urban transformations of depots. So a couple of things there that I don't think a lot of the, you know, just public think about, and even us in trucking, you know, we want to, we want to get the big hitters, but these are real impactful changes in, you know, in very dense urban environments and it'll help air quality as well. Absolutely. That is exactly what I was going to jump in with is, Hey, that those urban dense areas tend to have, lesser air quality and to know that we're we're leading in a space where we're putting a zero emissions vehicle asset on the road we're improving air quality in the uh, community we're making progress with technology that is ready to deploy now uh to your point is far more digestible and accessible at the utility level and you see it in the run on less video our drivers are excited they're excited to leave their lead. They're excited to be a part of PepsiCo positive, And they're excited to have the opportunity to drive this truck because it's new, but 
because it's clean, because it doesn't smell, because there's not a lot of sound. So it really is just loaded with benefits from end to end and how we operate that vehicle, what we're doing within the community and how we're improving the experience for our drivers. So I got to do a pitch. If you haven't, anybody listening, if you haven't watched our videos of the drivers in any any of these, both of these run on less electric, go do it. So go to Queens right now, the Queens video on runonless.com. Watch Gary LaBush. He's an amazing driver of uh, in Queens and and exactly some of the things that Amanda brings up, he, he says in there. So finally, I want to talk about what um, might be the biggest attraction to this call, and that's uh, the Tesla Semi. You know, you're the only uh, fleet that has uh, been running Tesla semis. And so, um, you know, we followed in the run, uh, a lot of information out on, you know, how far these trucks traveled, et cetera, during the three weeks of the run last year. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what's going on with Pepsi and the Tesla trucks and uh, maybe a, a couple things that that we don't know that you're able to tell us. Okay, you bet. So, and I'll speak a little more broadly too, because you reference our 2021 program and the the Peterbilt box trucks in Modesto. We have a fleet of 36 Tesla semis. 15 of those exist in the the Modesto location, doing regional long haul work for our Frito Lay snacks fleet. And 21 of them exist in that Sacramento location. And within Sacramento, um, moving our Pepsi products. We've got two different use cases. We've got 18 trucks doing that local delivery work that we talked about. So predominantly staying in Sacramento and surrounding areas, delivering direct to our customers. And then the balance of those assets, the last three, delivering regional and long haul, again, the Pepsi product. So um, it's a great way to test the technology in both applications um, and it matches the need. So again, matching the technology to the, the work to be done. Um, it is, again, a very cool truck. I mean, you've sat in it, you've seen it. I think some of our drivers would tell you and, and they've shared, like they feel like celebrities because they are, they're unicorns on the highway as I affectionately call them. Um, but the experience and successes we've had from that program have been incredible. So the, the assets we're using in Sacramento are 500 mile range trucks, which to your commentary, um, it feels like boiling the, the ocean to solve long haul trucking, uh, but we're demonstrating that there's tools that exist that allow us to move forward with electric vehicle offerings in the long haul trucking space. Um, the rate of charge. So we're running uh, with 750 kilowatt chargers in our Sacramento location, which again is very, very meaningful when we talk about the charging capability and how we neutralize that charging behavior, both from a business operations and continuity perspective, but as well as driver behavior perspective and making that transition from diesel at the pump to charging operations. So the 750 kilowatt chargers, another win. Um, and I know I shared it in the video too. One of our, our key learnings in, in Sacramento beyond the semi-fleet is how do we touch a location and do it once? The, the energy pull is vastly different in Sacramento than what it is in, in the Queens program. So the collaboration with, we'll call it upstream construction, the OEMs, the charging providers for the fleet of semis and our, our non-Tesla um, semi vehicles that exist in domicile in Sacramento, the utility, everybody involved in making that, that program a reality has really taught us a lot about how we move these programs forward at scale at a lot of our locations and move quickly to deliver our PepsiCo positive commitments and continue to move the space forward. Yeah, so something that, you know, uh, was interesting to me uh, in Sacramento, you know, we had one day where one truck did 1,076 miles. There was three, if not four, 
charging events in the 24 hours. So um, one thing I learned from that is, you know, when we think about electrifying commercial vehicles and, you know, the, the, the smaller trucks uh, will happen quicker than the semis. And, you know, as we go up into class eight heavy duty, you know, folks that are doing, um, you know, store deliveries like your delivery trucks that you just talked about, as well as people like U.S. Foods and Cisco who are making deliveries and, and not doing more than 100 miles. And that will be a, a use case. But in the 1,076 miles, the thing that struck me is some fleets have a high density of deliveries. And so because beverages weigh a lot and because we drank a lot of sodas, um, yeah, I'm from the Midwest. We call them sodas. <laughs> uh, uh, or I guess maybe I should say pop would be more what I heard as a kid. But, uh, you know, because there's a, a lot of those, then that you can then create a charging network at those different warehouses that can get a fast 30 minute charge, get the state of charge up from, say, 5% to 50%, go make some more miles and increase the miles per day or, uh, you know, other than just the miles per charge. Uh, something that Nackfield will keep talking about, and you will as well, but um, that's unique a bit, which opens up the opportunity for electrifying some of these longer runs that, that maybe a lot of us aren't thinking about. Absolutely. I think one of the, the I won't say problems to solve, but one of the things that we're going to continue to learn the most about as we make this transition is about charging and how meaningful that is. And it's not just a zero to 100 conversation. It's about creating the network and the access points that allow you to to bridge your range and then deliver the goods that you need to. And I think that day um, from the run was a good example of that. Like it's it's not it's not 0% battery to 100% battery and run it all the way down. It's creating those critical moments where you can grab a quick, quick charge behind your four walls, behind your fence and future state, we hope publicly, um, to go access and continue to, to mitigate the range anxiety that comes with a zero emissions vehicle because those options and those pockets of charge exist in route yeah. at your other facilities to continue to extend the access of a zero emissions vehicle. Yeah. And, you know, we do that in trucking. That's asset utilization. I mean, we, we um, you know, it's it's a, a tenant of moving freight. So, Amanda, we're nearly out of time. I'm going to ask you in very quick thoughts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of us out there trying to support this transformation. So what are two or three just like um, maybe it's things you think about preparing for your day of work or suggestions you'd have for all of us to to, to make this a, a really successful and in joyful ride in what's going to be a, a real transition from, you know, just call it what it is, diesel to electric trucks? Uh, that's a great question. Two things come immediately to mind and particularly thinking about how do I plan my day, my my month, my year. Um, the first is you have to have a plan. Um, none of these projects, even the smaller utility ones, are a small undertaking. You have to know how you're using the trucks, what the utility looks like, and really build out a trajectory um, of, how, of where you're going and how you're going to get there. It's got to be a very intentional program, a very intentional transition, and you've got to do it responsibly to, to have the successes you're looking for. I'll caveat that with your plan will be subject to change. Um, so so as the space matures, and again, the, the utility, the EPC, the charging, all of that is a learning. And, and we thought we were making some really great decisions two years ago, and 
gosh darn it, they they weren't wrong, but we're <laughs> smarter now and we're going to make them differently. So build yeah. a plan and, and expect that plan to evolve and change as the industry changes, as you get smarter, as you learn and experiencing more with these vehicles. And a lot of our questions in our conversation today have come back to, and how is the driver respond? How are your mechanics responding? Um, that piece is number two, making sure that you're, you're going in on this with that end user perspective in mind and how are you reacting to and engaging the drivers and the mechanics to understand how the technology is fitting in your system and bringing them along to the ride um, because it's a lot more fun when they're excited about the work that you're doing yeah absolutely well hey we have to stop it there i mean uh, it's great having you on amanda it's been uh, really a good conversation i learned some things and uh, had a lot of fun so thanks for being on likewise mike thank you so much Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.